Amen. And I want to lift up, before we start the message, before we jump in the message, I want to lift up another church in Columbus, Hilton Avenue Community Church. Their young youth pastor, student pastor, Tyler Higgins, 29 years old, passed away of a heart attack Friday. Tragic. It's just tragic. Um, and I want, to, I want us to pray together uh, for that church family, for Tyler's family, for his wife, Sarah, for, for their family. Lord, we don't always understand. Matter of fact, Lord, most of the time we don't understand what goes on in this broken world that we live in. Lord, but we know that you, for those that love you, for those who uh, you have made your children, that you're going to work all that stuff out for good. So, Lord, we lift up Tyler's family, Sarah's family, and that church family on Hilton Avenue. Lord, as they deal with this grief, that you would give them a peace that's not explainable, that you would wrap your arms around all of them, that you would comfort them, Lord, and that you would lead them. And so, Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hey, y'all. So, last week, um, we were finishing up a series that we called Justified. It was the second of a, uh, uh, as we were walking through Romans, it was the second kind of bucket of, uh, of messages uh, in, in the, the book of Romans, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We were in chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, and if y'all remember, um, and let me tell y'all too, if you haven't, if you haven't seen, if you haven't heard that message, and I don't say this very much, but if you haven't seen, if you haven't heard that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message, because God did some stuff this week with the end last Sunday with that message. But here's where we landed. At the end of that last week, we landed with, while you and I were, were weak, ungodly, a sinner, and an enemy, Christ loved us, died for us, and reconciled us. That was the, the big, huge takeaway from last week. And that is one of the most glorious truths in all of Scripture. While we were all that, he loved us, died for us, and reconciled us. And, and, and I, I would beg you, lock on to that truth. Grab on to that truth. Don't you ever forget that truth from those first, uh, you know, for those first sort of 11 verses uh, in Romans 5. Today, we're beginning a new series called Set Free. It's the third part uh, in our walk through Romans. Today and in the next uh, several weeks, we're going to dive into what true, authentic, genuine, real freedom really is. Up to this point in Romans, for the most part, he has spent a lot of time, Paul has, talking about justification. Chapter 3, most of chapter 4, um, and, and a bunch of chapter 5, what, what justification looks like. In Romans chapter 6, uh, he begins talking about, about the beginnings of sanctification. we got justification here, that, that act where God declares you and I righteous, and now he begins talking about sanctification. Well, in super simple terms, man, all sanctification is, in this context, is the growth in holiness that ought to follow me and you when we get saved. It's just that growth. It's that spiritual growth as time goes on. And, and look, today, and Autumn on the announcements kind of talked about it, but today is the first of two rally days. Why is it, do you think, that we really kind of expect and we want and we encourage you to jump into one of those growth groups. And I hope everybody got one of the little brochures that kind of tells you about the growth groups. But, but here's the shocker, man. It's not that we want to churn out, and I told our team this morning this, 
we're not trying to churn out a bunch of Bible scholars. This is not, you know, this is not seminary. That's not what we're trying to do. It is so that we, as a church family together, we as, a, as, a, as the leadership of the church, can help each other to grow in Christ, to grow in holiness. It's not about being able to quote, you know, the whole book of Mark. That's not, it's about growing together in Christ. So, Romans chapter 6, first 10 verses. The high level looking down on the beginning of Romans 6 is this. It is that you and I as believers, we need to know our position in Christ. If we can get our arms around our position in Christ, and we're going to talk about that word a little bit today, but if we can get our arms around our position in Christ, our place in Christ, it absolutely is going to help me and you in the battle against sin. This first part of Romans, of Romans chapter 6, is a lot of it. A lot of it is about sin and the sin that is in our lives. And this word know, K-N-O-W, is used three times in these first few verses. So let us read uh, the first ten verses, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were buried therefore with him in, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So look at, look at verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? What, what shall we say? You know, to, to what? Like, what shall we say? Look back at chapter 5, verse 20 of chapter 5. Verse 20 of chapter 5 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace abound all the more. So the law, he's talking about all the rules and the regs, right? Mostly from the first five books of the Bible. So the law increases, or it, 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 it increases the trespass of the sin. In other words, it highlights it. It doesn't make you sin more. It highlights the sin. It lets us know sin as sin. That's what the law does. And so with that, Paul says in verse 20, grace abounds all the more. Therefore, verse 1, what shall we say then? What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And look, I'm going to call this the dilemma of freedom. And if you don't have a word, who doesn't have a worship guide? I want to get a worship guide in your hand. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and if somebody will grab some and, and give them out. Richard's grabbing some. So this is the dilemma of freedom. 
And here's the question. Does God's grace give me and you a license to sin? Can we just do whatever we want, whenever we, whenever we want, however much we want, just expecting that God's just going to forgive us? Do we just have a license to act like a complete idiot all the time? Well, here's the deal, man. It seems like, when you read this, it seems like on the surface that grace gives us free reign. It seems that way, that grace doesn't put any restraint whatsoever on sin. And I'm telling you, churches all over America, that's what they sell from the pulpit. It's a lie from hell. It is, a, it is an absolute lie from hell. To think that grace doesn't put any restraint on sin. And there's this feeling that people have, even believers, right? Even believers that, that if we're forgiven by grace and not the law and not doing, quote, good, then sin doesn't really just matter that much. God is good and God is, look, they just sang the goodness of God. We're all going nuts. He is so, so good. I wish so, so much that I could sing because he's so good. His goodness knows no bounds. So if God is so, so good and God is gracious and loving, here's what people think. Therefore, he's going to forgive our sins no matter what. The grace knows no restraint. You know what, man? It, it, here's the deal. It, it, like it almost even seems like grace encourages sin. If his grace is so big and, and so strong and it can forgive any sin, can his grace forgive any sin? Of course it can. If it's so big and it's so strong, then the greater the sin, the more magnified the grace becomes. In fact, maybe maybe we ought to just continue in sin to give God more opportunities to display and prove how big and awesome His grace is. Yeah, I'm going to do God a favor and just keep sinning. Right? I'm going to throw God a bone and just keep on sinning so that He can show me and display for y'all how big His grace is. Paul answers that question, though, in verse 2. He says, by no means. By no means. By no means. King James says, what's King James say? God forbid. The Net Bible says, absolutely not. The Ed translation says, are you crazy? No, that is not by no means. By no means. Look, a believer's position, and we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more today about position, but a believer's position in Christ really displays the, the outright impossibility of a true believer continuing to live in habitual sin. Now understand this word continue. This word continue. Are we to continue in sin? That word is, it, it, it's like the relationship in the structure of the sentence between continue and sin. That word means to continue the course of, to, to stay constant, to remember, I think it was last week or week before we used the word waller, to waller in something. And that word is to waller in sin. It's to persevere in sin. It's for sin to be an habitual, my, my habitual lifestyle. But I want you all to hear me say, get saved and you'll never sin again. Don't put that on yourself. Because it, that, that's also a lie from hell. And that's not what I'm saying. You cannot expect 
to live without sin. But you can't expect to not live in sin. If you are a believer, and you're really a believer, we're dead to sin. The text tells us that. How can a dead man keep living in sin? He can't. Positionally, a Christian has died to self. We've all heard that term, died to self. And we've been placed into Christ. Placed and positioned in Christ. And so that means we're dead to self and we're alive in the Lord. And if that's true, how could we even begin to think that we can just live, uh, uh, just keep living in sin and God is just going to forgive us anyway? Let me tell you the natural outflowing of that sort of thought, that sort of theology. Uh, and I, and I, Susan will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a friend of her brother's. Uh, uh, her brother has a friend, and it, maybe it's his, this guy's wife. Love the church they go to. Don't, don't live in Columbus. Love the church they go to. We're talking to them. Why do you love your church? Why do you? Because she loved her church. She said, I love my church. I love my church. What is it about your, this is about three years ago. What is it about your church that you love? She said, I love that I can do whatever I want on Saturday night, and I don't feel bad about it on Sunday morning. Y'all, that ain't the gospel. And if that is the, the completeness of your understanding of the gospel, it's warped and it's twisted and, that, and it's not right. It's not right. So, remember that when we turn to God, we are also turning away from sin. And it's nonsense to say when we turn to God, we're turning to more and more sin to throw God a bone so he can show us more grace. Real repentance is both. It's a turning away from sin and it's a turning towards God. Listen, God's, God's grace doesn't bring me to him so that I'm free to sin more. God's grace brings me to him so that I can be free from sin, from its guilt, from its, its condemnation, from the judgment of that. And so I told you all a little while ago that we are, uh, that there were three no's, K-N-O-W-S. Three no's that we're going to talk about. The first is this. By position, by position, we're baptized or placed into or immersed into Christ. Into Christ. That is also one of the most awesomest I don't know if that's a word, but it's one of the most awesomest truths in Scripture. Romans, uh, starting in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his for hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand years, maybe 1,500 years. People have argued about the meaning of baptism. And here's a shocker. This is just God's timing. That thing's full of water today because we're going to be baptizing a couple of people in a little while. And then we're going to be baptizing somebody next week and hopefully the, the week after that as well. Baptism is an image of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When a believer is dunked, immersed, that's what the word means, immersed, when they're dunked, they're screaming to the world that now they are identified with Christ. 
when you take that plunge, when you are plunged under that water, two things happen. Maybe more, but I think two things happen. That person is proclaiming that he's died and been buried with Christ. A believer is immersed, placed into, identified, whatever word we would put in there, with Christ first in his death. Simply put, if we really died when Christ died, then he's dead to sin. If I really died when Christ died, then I'm dead to sin. And I'm freed from the, the penalty of it and the judgment of it and the punishment. What an incredible, incredible gift that is. God takes the person's faith, and in this passage, the baptism, and he counts that person as participating in Christ's death. He considers, God considers that person to have died in Christ's death, to have been placed into Christ's death, to, have, to be identified with Christ's death, to be a partaker in his death, to be in union in his death, and to be bound up with Christ in his death. If we're counted by God as having been immersed, placed into the death of Christ, y'all then we're dead to sin. Then I've died to the penalty of sin. I've, I've died to the judgment of sin. I've died uh, to, to, the, to the penalty of sin. I'm freed from sin. I'm freed from the judgment of sin. I'm free from that sin it, that it had a lock on me. Sin had a lock on us. The habits and the desires and the, the, the sin doesn't control me anymore because I've been buried in that. It's lost its position in our lives. We're free from it. We're free from sin's habits. We're free, free from sin's control, from its bondage, and from the guilt. First thing that happens, the second thing that happens is this. By being raised up, and you'll see that image today, by being raised up out of the water, we're proclaiming that we have been, not only uh, did we die under that water, but we're being raised up and participating with Christ in his resurrection to live a new life. So a believer is immersed, placed into, and identified with Christ in his resurrection. I think that's on the screen. Yeah, in his resurrection. Now God takes the person's faith, and he counts the person as participating in his resurrection. The Lord considers the, uh, the believer to have been raised in Christ's resurrection, to be placed into it, to be identified with his resurrection, to be a partaker of his resurrection, to be in union with his resurrection, and to be bound. All the stuff that we were with him in his death, we are with him in his life. Now God's purpose for raising us up it's dynamic and it's meaningful. Why? Why is it? It is all about y'all walking in a new life. So that verse 4 uh, says we too might walk in the newness of life. We're raised to walk in the newness of life. And you understand that word walk, it means to constantly, to habitually walk in the newness of life. We're a new creation. A new creation. That word is really similar to the word continue that we talked about a minute ago continuing in sin but now we're walking in the newness of life Galatians 6 says we're a new creation First Peter says we experience a new birth Ezekiel 11 says we get a new heart Ephesians 4 tells us that we, we, we to put on our new self so our first no today 
K-N-O-W, no, is by position we're baptized or placed or immersed into Christ. And our second no is this. It is that by position, our old self, our old self was crucified with Christ. So y'all, this is the second thing that we got to know about our position. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 6 is past tense. Our old self was crucified with him. It is done. It is over with. Jesus did it. Jesus took care of it. He took the old Ed. He took the old Susan. He took the old Stephen and took them right up there on the cross and our old selves died on that cross with him. It's past tense. And here's what died with him. Ed's old life. Ed's sinful self. Ed's sinful life. The corrupt Ed. The depraved Ed. The unbelievably immensely jacked up Ed was taken up on the cross and crucified with Christ on that cross. The old self died, the Bible tells us, so that the body of sin can be destroyed, that it can be conquered, that it can be forgiven. It's all crucified with Christ. It's like we get a reboot. We get a reboot, and we can stay clean, and we can stay free from sin by walking in constant confession and fellowship before God. 1 John chapter 1 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the old self died to, to enable me, to, to empower me and you to reject sin, to hate sin, to not be a slave to sin. Galatians 5 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In verse 7, Paul kind of gives us, is it still up there? Yeah, he gives us a little, uh, little illustration. He says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. If you're dead, then you're free from sin. Well, who's dead? Your old self is dead. Who's dead? Ed's old self. Your old self died right up on that cross, and you're freed from sin's stranglehold and lock that it had on our lives. Y'all, when we believe the gospel message that Christ died on that cross, and he paid the penalty for my sin, that belief is counted as righteousness. We call that justification, if you remember. My belief makes me, golly, sorry, acceptable to God. And you know what else it does? It gives me constant access to him as I walk through my day. That means as I walk through sometimes um, the nasty days. Any of y'all ever have nasty days? Horrible days? You're con if you're a Christ follower, you have constant access to him even in the nastiest of days. When I fail here and I fail there, I can constantly come to the Lord and ask forgiveness and he forgives. And all of that is because Jesus went to bat for me. Look at 1 John chapter 2. John says, I'm writing these things, and this is at the beginning of 1 John, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if you do, but if you do, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is the amazing position that we, y'all as believers, have in Christ. That our old self was crucified with him in order to free us from the bondage that sin can have. We're no longer under the jurisdiction of sin. The, the previous rights that sin had in our lives, the way it dominated and it commanded us, they've all been canceled. We don't have to sin anymore, but we can. We have a chooser, y'all. We don't have to, but we can. Before, the devil was jerking our chain. We pretty much did whatever it is that he wanted us to do. Second Timothy says that we were held captive by the God of this world to do his will. Satan said jump, and we said how high. Now that we are dead in Christ and alive with him, and that is symbolized by this act of baptism that we're going to do today, we no longer have to sin. Can I sin? Yes. Will I sin? Unfortunately, yes. Do I have to keep on sinning? No is the answer. There is still that inside of me, but I make choices. You know, God has freed me from the power of sin, so it comes down to what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am the choice I'm going to make? This new nature, this old nature, they're constantly at war with one another. It is like two dogs constantly fighting. Anybody ever seen two dogs in a fight? Two dogs in a fight. They look at each other. They sniff a little bit. They may walk around and they sniff a little bit. And the hair on one of the dog's back on his neck kind of stands up. And the other one kind of shows his teeth a little bit. And you know there's going to be a fight in a second. So it's like my new nature and my old nature like two dogs that are constantly fighting. But I get to decide which dog wins. And somebody says, how do you decide which dog wins? I decide because the one who wins is the one that I feed the most. It's the one that I feed the most, right? He's going to win. You have a new nature. You have an, you have an old nature. They're constantly battling, engaging in combat with each other, and who's going to win? You get to decide, y'all. You get to decide who wins. Who do you feed the most? What do you feed the most? Every day when I get up in the morning and my feet hit the floor, I get to decide what I'm going to do. Am I going to dig into the Scripture? Am I going to grab my Bible and dig into my Bible? Am I going to sit at the foot of the bed and pray for my wife while she sleeps? Am I going to resist temptation? Am I going to serve somewhere in the kingdom? Am I going to tell the truth? Am I going to deny myself? Y'all, if I do those things, I'm building up my new nature. I'm feeding the right dog. I'm feeding Rudy. I'm feeding the right dog. Am I, am I, am I going to church? Am I going to spend more time with God's people? Am I going to a growth group? Am I going to a life group? If you're doing all that, you're building up the new nature that has been given to you as a gift. But by not building up that new nature and just, uh, just going on along with the flow of the world and neglecting the, the, the things of the Spirit, that potential for sin becomes stronger and easier really with every day that passes. So, yeah, there is a battle that takes place. There is a battle that takes place. But if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You've got the, the, the creator of the universe has got your back. I don't know any news better than that. 
The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. The creator of the universe has got your back. I mean, look at that verse up there. It's so funny. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What if the rest of it wasn't there? You'd be like, well, that ain't fixing to happen. Well, John tells us. But if anyone does sin, we got a guy that's got our back. The creator of the universe has got your back. So our second no is that by position, our old self was crucified up on that cross with Christ. And last no today, K-N-O-W, is this. By position, we live with Christ now and forever. This is the third thing that we got to know about our position in Christ. We have absolute assurance and confidence that we will live with him. Verse 8. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So what is it that gives us this confidence? This confidence that as believers, we will live with him for eternity. What is it that gives us that confidence? We sang about it all morning long, and we're going to sing about it in a minute. It is because he walked out of the tomb alive. Y'all, do you believe that he really, really went in that tomb dead, and he really, really walked out of that tomb alive? That's why we can have the confidence that we will live with. He conquered death. Verse 9 says, we know. We know. And that word know is used here in Romans about ten times. And it speaks of a little different kind of knowledge. It is the kind of knowledge that comes as a result of and only in view of the, our relationship with God through Christ. There's things that you and I as human beings just can't instinctually know until we become children of God. We don't know it that way. And so when we believe and we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we know that because He was raised from the dead that He'll never die again. The text says that. He'll never die again. That death has no dominion over Him. Nor us. Death has no dominion over you when you're saved. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said that God's purpose and grace have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And verse 10 in Romans 6 says, But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now that to God is a little uncertain about what that means, but I'll tell you what I think it means. In studying this week, I'll tell you what I think it means. And I'll tell you what I think it, how it applies to our life, how it affects us. We know that Jesus lives in the presence of the Father. We know that he lives in unbroken devotion to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. At the end of the day, you and I know that God's incredible plan was to free me and you from the control that sin had over our life from the power that it holds over us. When that happens, our perspectives change, our, our attitudes change, our relationships change, our desires change in light of the incredible events that took place on our behalf. You know, that death on that cross was for you. That death on that cross was for me. It was done on my 
behalf. That death to sin and the ability to come to God and live for Him. So you and I as Christ followers, y'all, we are to live for Him through all eternity. From the second that we get saved. And y'all, I'm not saying that the second you get saved, you're going to be some model Christian. Probably doesn't work that way. But as we grow and we mature, we work, and as we lock arms with other believers, and as we study and dig into the Scripture, and as we serve in the kingdom, all of those things grow us in Christ. But death has no, no more dominion over us. So this passage that we looked at today, and it's kind of a difficult passage, it says that we are immersed or placed into the resurrected life of Christ. It says that we are eternally alive with Him now. And that is the most incredible news ever. What do you do with that? I would say this, y'all. Live in a way that is worthy of that position. Live in a way that is worthy of that position. Get your arms around the ginormousness of what Jesus did for you. Get your arms around how big that was. Booker T. Washington, in a book that he wrote called Up From Slavery, he paints this vivid image of the scenes among Afri the African-American communities on the night of the proclamation of their freedom. I'll read you what he wrote in Up From Slavery. He said that there was no sleep that night. All was excitement and expectancy. Early in the morning, we were all sent for proclamation was read and we were told that we were free and could go when and where we pleased. He wrote, there was great rejoicing followed by wild scenes of ecstasy. But the wild rejoicing, he said, didn't last long. By the time the colored people had returned to their cabins, there was a marked change in their feelings. He said, the great responsibility of being free seemed to take possession of them. The great responsibility of being free. Y'all, we have freedom in Christ. And that is a huge responsibility. Live in a way that is worthy of the freedom that Christ has given you. He says it was very much like suddenly turning a child of 10 or 12 out into the world to provide for himself. Within a few minutes, the wild rejoicing ceased and a feeling of deep gloom seemed to pervade the slave quarters. Now that they were liberated, they found possession of freedom to be much more serious business than they had anticipated. The freedom we have in Christ is serious business, y'all. It is serious business. Today, live in a way that is worthy of that position that we have as a Christ follower. Is God's grace a license to sin? Are you crazy? No. Absolutely not. God forbid. Heaven forbid. Paul says, by no means is that a license to sin. As a believer, we're identified through baptism with Christ's death, and we're identified with his resurrection. Our old self died with him on the cross, and we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. You're going to see a beautiful image of that in a second. And finally, praise the Lord, our new position in Christ allows us to know that I know that I know that I know that I'll live with him forever. And I'm telling y'all, if you 
want to be freed. I'm telling you, if you're watching online or if you're sitting here today, if you want to be freed from the chain, from the shackle, from the stronghold that sin has on you, you, you can. If you want to know that you know that you know that you know you'll live with him forever, you can know that. You can have that confidence. You can have that assurance. Y'all, our worship team is about to lead us in a song called Resurrecting. And there's a line in that song that says, the, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. If you want to know what it feels like to have the resurrected king resurrect you today, y'all, you can. I mean, you can. You say yes to the offer. You just say yes to the offer. Here's the offer, man. And I want to tell y'all, if you're watching and you're next door with kids, come back over here right now because we're getting ready to dunk some people in the water. But here, here's what I want to tell you. If you want that today, it is available. It's not some big, complicated formula. You repent. What is that? I turn away from the sin, and I turn towards God. That's it. I turn away from the sin, I turn towards Him. We say this every Sunday. I turn away. And I believe that that death on that cross really did take care of my sin. And the death on the cross really did happen. And He really was put in a grave really sure enough dead, and he came out of it sure enough alive. And I participate in both of those. I participate in both because it was Ed's sin that died on that cross. And it was Ed's life that I get to walk in the, I get to walk in the newness of life because of what happened on that cross. So that's it. Repent and believe. Ask him to save you and he will save you. So if that's you today, I want you all to close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you're watching online and that is you, I want you to repeat after me. Scream it out loud or just say it in your own mind. Lord, today is the, sorry, today is the day I do repent of my sin. Today is the day that I do believe that you died on that cross. Took care of paying the penalty for, for me on my behalf. And I want you to save me. And Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the deal, y'all. If that's you, our prayer team will be back here in this corner. I want you to go back there and pray with them. If you feel led to come up to the cross and pray at the cross, same, wonderful. But let somebody know, if, you, if you're online and you, and you made Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life today, let us know with an online connection card. And if you're in here, let us know with one of those cards on the seat back in front of you and just drop it in in one of these boxes and talk to somebody about it.